Hello folks, I hope you're having a wonderful day. This is the On Being Christian Podcast. The On Being Christian Podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church, and I'll be your host here today for this podcast. I'm so glad that you've chosen to listen. I know that there's a lot of other options for you, Um, (laughs) a lot of other options, but I certainly appreciate that you've given us some time today. I hope to be a help and a blessing to you. Um, I'd like to talk to you today about the concept of the one thing that Christ feared. The concept of the one thing that Christ feared may not be exactly what you're thinking, um, but so many times the Bible lays out truths and doctrines, uh, and sometimes some things that are right there on the surface seem to get past us for every reason, and I think that this might be one of them. I want you to uh, to, to share with you, or it just if, if you've got a Bible, you can go there, but I'm going to read it to you. It's John chapter 18. I'll read the first 11 verses of John chapter 18. This is about the portrayal of Jesus Christ in the garden. John chapter 18, starting verse 1, the Bible says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus saith unto him, I am he, and Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, saying, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let this or let these go their way. He's referencing the disciples there. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them, which thou hast givest me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my Lord hath given me, shall I not drink it? I want to talk to you today about the concept or the idea of this cup. Now Jesus was in, this is about 42 hours before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We see him go through no fewer than four or five Um, mock trials all taking place in the dead of night, Uh, some Jewish, some Roman, before he was finally falsely condemned and sentenced to death. And you know the story. The people screamed, let his blood be upon our heads and upon the heads of our children. But leading up to this, we find that Jesus references this cup. Now, when Peter took a sword out, and cut off this guy's ear. By the way, I, fi- I very highly doubt that Peter was going for his ear. I imagine that Peter was trying to take his head off and 
Peter perhaps may not have been the best swordsman, or perhaps he was a little slow, but the guy was able to get out of the way, and he caught a piece of his ear and took it off. And you know the story. Jesus Christ put the ear back on the man's head, told Peter to put away his sword, and then he asked Peter a question. He said, the cup, the cup, which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Rhetorical question, meaning this is what he came to earth to do. I'd like to talk to you about this cup. This is, as far as I can see from the Bible, the only thing that the Lord Jesus Christ ever expressed a great amount of fear and apprehension over is this cup. If we go over to Matthew chapter 20, 20 through 22, we see some reference to this. Then came him to uh, mother. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, talking about coming to Jesus, with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, Well, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, one on the right hand and the other on the left, in the kingdom. If we keep reading, you'll see Jesus says in verse 22, But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. They had no idea what they were talking about. But then again, we see this reference to the cup. The cup. He told Peter, What are you thinking? This is what I'm here to do. And he told the mother of uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the Bible calls them the sons of thunder, they can't do this. This is not something that they can physically do. If you stay in Matthew, just go over to chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, I'll pick it up in verse 36 and read down through verse 45. The Bible says here, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. What we just witnessed there was the Last Supper and Jesus instituting the the observance of the Last Supper or the communion, which is to replace the observance of um, the, the Passover. And then verse 31 says, Then Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And we obviously know how that turned out. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples, and so they all said, no, we're, we're not going to leave you. Verse 36, this is an interesting chapter here. When, uh, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. 
And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with my father, or excuse me, watch with me. And he went forth and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time, and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And this is when we see Judas approach. And he kisses him, and he betrays him. All three times we just read from these uh, three gospel references, the Lord showed a great amount of anxiety and, and even fear over the concept or the idea of this cup. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed three times to his heavenly Father, let this cup pass from me. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted, wanted nothing to do with this cup. I'm going to show you why from the Bible here. A couple things I want to define. This time that Jesus Christ spent in the Garden of Gethsemane is oftentimes widely known as his agony or the agony of Christ in the Garden. His agony in the Garden. The word agony is a word that denotes um, almost like um, like exertion, like the athletic games. It's anguish in battle or conflict. It's pain so extreme as to cause writhing contortions of the body. Extreme pain in the mind. It's a violent contest. A violent contest. So this entire time that Jesus Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is in agony. A violent contest that's producing, because of the agony of the mind, it's producing physiological responses in his body. Responses based off of fear and sorrow all over the concept of what was in the cup. That's what I want to talk to you about today. What was in that cup? And why was Christ so agonized over it? Why was he so afraid of it. We're going to let the Bible do a lot of talking today just because I'd very much like for you to understand that these concepts are from the Bible. They're not a religious thing or, or my thing. God help me. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, 25 through 27. Uh, if I pick it up in verse 25, the Bible says here, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Make sure I'm where I should be here. Um, yes, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. 
And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into or unto this world. The hour here that Jesus Christ is talking about is the hour in which he must consume the contents of the cup, the cup that he spent his life in apprehension of, the cup that he asked God in the Garden of Gethsemane 48 hours before he was to be crucified that he wouldn't have to be a partaker of. He said, let thy will be done over mine, but if it's possible, he said, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want nothing to do with this cup of agony, this, this hour that was coming closer and closer and closer. If we go to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, I'll pick it up in verse 32, and I'll read down through verse 41. The Bible says here, make sure I'm where I should be. Yes, Mark 14, 32, down through verse 41. And they, came to pay, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. We find sore amazed and heavy. These are the same things as recorded in, in, the, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it be possible, the hour might pass from him. The hour. So we see the word the cup and the word the hour kind of being used interchangeably here. And he said, Abba, Father, which is the most, in, um, the most uh, intimate term for Father, Abba, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And this goes on. Verse 41 says, He cometh a third time, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, take us, uh, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And you very much see him go into a, an idea of a concept of work. But we see that here, Mark chapter 14, he's sorrowful. He's very heavy. The word sorrowful is a word that means being grieved over the loss of good or some expected evil that is inevitably coming. Deeply serious, deeply serious expression of profound grief. Profound grief, sorrow. It's the type of sorrow that gets into your bones, makes you feel alone, makes you feel scared like the world just got dark. And it has physiological reactions. The Bible talks about the fact that while Jesus Christ was in the garden, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. That's a medical condition for the body becoming uh, prey to so much pressure that it exerts the, the blood pressure. Your blood is going so fast that the veins can't contain it. And that's what's happening 
with Jesus Christ in the garden, his apprehension, his fear, his agony, his sorrow, his heaviness over the hour, over the cup that was inevitably coming, the cup of agony, the cup of what we will see, the Bible says, is dreads, dreads. Interesting. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. If I read 39 through 44, we find out a little more here. The Bible says here, and it came to pass, or excuse me, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about the stones cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou wilt, or if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. He found them sleeping for sorrow and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise up, pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And then the Bible goes on in the Gospel of Luke to record the betrayal of Judas. But here we see he was in agony, sweating blood, quite quite physically possible. It's a medical condition. And then the angel of the heaven came down to minister unto him. Folks, he was under such agony, such dread, such anticipation and fear for this hour, for this cup. He begged the Lord. He said, all things are possible with you. All things are possible. You can do this a different way, God, if you want to. You can. Nevertheless, thy will be done. What was he talking about? What was this fear? What was this agony? Well, it was, with, it was over the contents of this cup. Let's take a look at what this is. Isaiah chapter 51. That was all recorded in the Gospels. Isaiah the prophet prophetically told, told us what would be coming. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 22. Look what the Bible says here. <clears throat> so if I start in verse 21, Therefore hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken, be not with wine. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord, Thus saith thy Lord, the Lord, and thy God, that pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the cup of dregs, the, the, the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt not no more, thou shalt no more drink it again. So we're defining here, prophetically, as it were, the cup that Jesus Christ is so anxious over, so fearful over, the Bible defines it as a trembling. It's a, a, the cup of dregs and fury. Trembling is a word that means shaking with fear and weakness. Astonishment. To reel and to stagger. To reel and to stagger. Uh, I've been in a few sticky spots. Been in all different types of conflicts and fights. And all kinds of stuff. And in my early days late teens, early 20s, when I would get into a real good scuffle, I would develop shaky knee syndrome. 
You say, that's just a joke. <laughs> I wish it was, folks. I wish it was. I was face-to-face with this big old boy one time. And uh, I had put on a good show, and I was getting ready to, you know, throw down with him. I'm not telling you that this is good stuff. I'm just telling you stuff that happened. And, and my right leg got to going. Oh, it started going. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know there's not a thing you can do about it. And the guy that I was standing in front of saw it. <laughs> he started laughing at me, which was an insult to injury. I don't know how old I was, maybe 19, 20. And I just I couldn't pull it back. I couldn't, I was having a physiological reaction to a psychological phenomena. What was the phenomena? I was scared to death, folks, of getting my head kicked in. And I was physiologically responding to that fear, or at least my right leg was, and it was, it was shaken, something fierce. I could not get control of it. That's what that word trembling means, but not with any of the, com- the comedy that I just put into it. If you've ever been in a place where you were having physical reactions to a psychological phenomena, that's what trembling is. The Bible says there in Isaiah 51, 22, uh, saith the Lord, thy Lord, the Lord, thy God, that pleadeth the cause of his people, behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling. What's in that cup? Fear. Fear. The type of fear that causes anxiety. The type of fear that takes over your body. Fear, folks. That's what's in that cup. It goes on to say, even the dregs of the cup. The dregs of the cup. The word dregs is a word that means that which is drained or thrown off. Worse, the worst part, the waste, the worthless matter. The most vile and despicable part of the souls of men. Wow. What was in that cup? The most vile, hateful, and despicable part of the souls of men. The dregs. The dregs. It gives the idea of that which is so heavy that it sinks to the bottom. It sinks to the bottom and it rests there and it develops all of its infectious, vile reality. But it's so far down that it kind of gets forgotten. The Bible says that's what was in the cup, the vileness of humanity, the vileness and arrogance and pride of sin was in the cup. It says that uh, taking up the hand, the cup of trembling, even the dregs, and then it says the cup of my fury, the cup of my fury. The word fury here is a word that it, it means a violent rushing, a violent rushing, a rage, impetus, motion, a storm of anger, madness, turbulence, enthusiasm. It's heat of the mind, the imminent mind with fierce, hasty, passionate, violent temper. It's the opinion of God toward sin. Notice it's not the opinion of God toward the sinner. The sinner God loves. The sinner God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive. The sin God hates. What was in the cup? God's opinion of sin. His fury. 
turbulence. Turbulence is a word. It means no matter what you do, no matter how skilled you are, no matter what knowledge you are empowered with, there's something happening that you can't control. There's something happening that's beyond the, the, the pilot or the captain's ability to compensate for. That's what the word turbulence means. The heat of the mind. You ever... It's interesting. Anger and love is defined by heat. The two extremities. By the way, I don't think they're as extreme as you might like to think that they are. Uh, one is just as maddening and, and as irrational as the other, just in different directions. But the Bible says what is in this cup is the heat of the fury of the Lord. You ever get really, really mad? I'm talking about that type of anger that changes the visual view and and complexion of your face. Your ears get red and you're hot to the touch. I told you before in my testimony, if you go back and you listen to the first podcast that was ever published, I was a hot-headed young man. I was angry, 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 angry. I was going through a lot. My family was going through a lot. And I had a, a certain system of morality that I kind of attributed myself to. And God help you if you cross one of those individual lines that I had laid out there rather arbitrarily, I might add. The point I'm trying to make is, oh, I would get so hot. I would get so angry. <laughs> no emotion like that has ever has ever compelled me so much. Apart from the love for my wife, um, and it's a it's a it's a very humbling, very scary thought to think that the cup is full of that part of the Lord's opinion towards sin, folks. The Bible says God hates sin. The Bible says that God cannot take a part of sin. God, because it pleased Him, the Bible said, put all of that fury and all of that turbulence and trembling, that vehement mind force fierce hastiness he put it on our lord and savior jesus christ why because he loved you he loved us he loves us he put all of that on christ and christ when the hour came that he needed to digest that cup he didn't sin the bible says for us he became sin he was fearful of it he was terrified of it why why was christ terrified of the cup because Christ knew that the, the 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 content of that cup would separate him from God folks i want you to understand sometimes Christ's only fear was being separated from his father you and i we play around and we flirt with sin we flirt with it and we have these little tiny innocuous, as we would define them, relationships with it. Well, it's just a little lie. It's just a little thing. God understands. God's love. No big deal. Folks, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. God can't be a part of sin. He hates it. Jesus Christ was afraid of it. And you and I flirt with it like it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It'll ruin you. It'll kill you. It'll remove your value. It will separate you from the God of heaven. It'll cause you to reject the Christ who gave his life for you. Sin. Sin must be paid for. The sinner can be forgiven, 
But the sin must be paid for, and Jesus Christ is the one who paid for that. Someone took exception with me one time over that statement, that sin cannot be forgiven. The sinner must be and can be forgiven, but only because Christ paid for sin. And I thought about it, and I stand by it. Folks, sin must be paid for. And Jesus Christ was terrified of the hour that would come when he would take the dregs, the, the trembling, the, the vehemence, the, the impetus, enthusiastic, passionate, violent rage of the fury of God. He would take it on himself, and he would be separated from God because of it. That's humbling. Humbling. The cup. The cup of trembling, the cup of dregs, the cup of fury. This is what our Savior was terrified of. Are you terrified of sin, folks? I mean, are you terrified of it? You understand how dangerous it is? We live in a society and a world that makes less of sin to the point where it says there is no sin. There's just opinion. That's wrong. That's 100% wrong. Sin is real. Sin is real. And the payment for sin is even more real than the sin. Folks, sin can separate you from a God who loves you. Sin can separate you from eternal life and place you into everlasting damnation. Not because it's God's will, but because I rejected God. But I don't have to, because Christ took the cup. Christ took the dregs. Christ took the fury so that I might have everlasting life with my heavenly Father. So what was Jesus afraid of? Separation from God. He was terrified of it. And he told God three times in the garden, I know it's possible for you. Is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. The Bible has a few more things to say about this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. The Bible says here, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Once you understand in every person that's accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, there is two natures. The old nature, which is the sinful man, and the new nature, which is God in your heart. And I want you to accept from what the Bible just told us, that when you accept Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ in the heart of man cannot sin. And if I am living according to the dictates and the doctrines and the, and, and the testimonies and statutes of the Bible, if I'm putting Christ first, Christ can give me a liberty to live a life that I never had the liberty to live before, a righteous life, a pure life. Not because I'm righteous, not because I'm pure and I'm, I'm holy. No, exactly the opposite, because I'm hidden by the blood of Jesus Christ in him who is righteous and pure and holy. You see, folks, I can have a relationship with God the Father because of Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who, without committing sin, became sin in the hour that he drank the cup and took the dregs of the trembling and the fury of our God. He took it upon himself and he paid the price for it. 
through his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection to go and sit on the right hand of God, the Bible says, in perfect equality with God the Father. And I, through Christ, can have a relationship with God. Apart from Christ, I am left alone before God with the content of the cup. And I am not Christ. I can't take it. The content of that cup will separate me from God forever. Forever. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, 15 through 17. We see here a wonderful section of Scripture. John 3, 15 through 17. The Bible says here, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. How? How is that? Where is it? It's in the one who, without responsibility, gave up his right to eternal glory and accepted my reality of eternal separation from God the Father and took upon himself the payment for sin, took upon himself what I earned, and he gave me what he earned. Jesus Christ drank the cup of dregs and trembling and fury so that I could have a relationship with God the Father. And by God's grace, he gave me Jesus Christ, and by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, because of God's grace, I can have a home in heaven with him when this life is all over. John chapter 3 and verse 36, the Bible says here, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not uh, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of of God abideth on him. The wrath of God abideth on him. Folks, that's a devastating thought. That the wrath of God abides on those who have not let Jesus Christ pay for their sin. There's so much Bible on this. The part I want to draw your attention to is simply the reality of the cup. What is needed what is needed? Now, most of Christianity today talks about faith. And I, I get that. It's wonderful. I, too, have faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What most of Christianity today dismisses is the requirement of repentance. Repentance has been something that has been done away with. It says, well, if you have faith, the Lord will save you. Well, that's the first part. The second part is that I repent, that I be willing to give the Lord the control of my mind, my heart, my life. I want to show you some things about this concept of repentance, and we'll be done. In Acts chapter 20 and verse, um, let's see here, 21, the Bible says here at the end, it says, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you see salvation, the saving power of salvation, you'll see not just faith, but repentance also. They go together. Jesus Christ didn't have to repent. There was nothing for him to repent of. So he didn't have to go to hell and pay the price for sin. But he took upon himself the cup of dregs and the fury of God, the cup of trembling and the wrath of our of our Lord. Why? Because God loved us, and it pleased him that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we could be forgiven and would not have to partake of that 
cup. If you go to Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, repentance is found every time in the Bible that salvation is offered. Repentance and faith, they go together. If you jump over to 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 10, 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 10, we see this. It says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Again, folks, this is throughout the content of the entire Bible. What does it take? to allow the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be applied to my account. The sacrifice that Jesus Christ was so afraid of, so 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 anxious over, was the intaking of the cup of dregs, the cup of fury and trembling, because it separated him from God the Father. But it pleased God that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you and I could have a relationship with God. What does it take? Faith, yes, and repentance, the turning of our life over to him. He is the Lord of our life. If you look at um, 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 through 10, the Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Folks, this is the fury of our God. He will execute judgment on sin, but I don't have to be there. You don't have to be there. You can accept his offering of grace. There's only one way. It's through the life of Jesus Christ. If you look at Luke chapter 13, verse 3. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. The Bible says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's not what the Lord wants for you. He doesn't. The Bible says that it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But if I reject Christ, the one who took upon himself the cup of dregs, then I reject forgiveness, and I stand before God with that cup in my own hands, and it will be it will be required of my own life. Acts chapter seventeen, twenty-two through thirty-one. The Bible says this here. Make sure that I'm. I have the whole section here. Pardon me. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by, and behold, your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord 
of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bonds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from any and every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and certain, excuse me, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Who is the man that he ordained? Jesus Christ. Who is the one he rose from the dead? Jesus Christ. Who did he give assurance to for life everlasting? Jesus Christ. Why did he do it? Because the day is coming when he'll judge the world. The fury of God will depart heaven and land squarely on the sin of this earth. And you don't have to be a part of that. Because of God's grace, through the mercy and sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sin because Christ drank the cup of dregs. Acts chapter 2, 36 through 38 we see a thought here. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What did Peter say when they asked him what to do? Very simple. Peter said, repent. Repent. That's what it's about. Paul said in his writings, I die daily. The Christian life is a life lived in continual repentance toward our Heavenly Father. I didn't say continual need of salvation. I said continual repentance. Once I repent, I'll find the need to be ever clean before my Heavenly Father. That's done with confession and repentance toward God. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Confession and forsaken. You realize that's the exact opposite of human nature. Human nature would hide the things that we're shameful of and proclaim the subjective reality that we would like to be true. But the Bible says he is wise who confesses and, forsaketh, and forsakes. That means I have faith and I repent of my sin. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, and this is the final verse, the Bible says, For that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the message of John the Baptist. This is the message of Jesus Christ. 
it just meant a little more coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ because he is the one who took upon himself the fury of the Father, the dregs of the cup, the trembling. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because he loves you. He loves you. He gave you everything. What is he asking in return? That you have faith in who he is and that you repent and allow him to live perfectly through you. You allow his life to shine over your own, that he would be the most important part of your life here, that you would not be. Folks, this life is not about your life. This life is about the life of Jesus Christ. That's all that this life is. I tell folks here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church, before you get saved, God offers you space. That space is so that you can understand the value of repentance. And then after you repent and ask the Lord to save your soul, the Lord gives you space. What's that second amount of space for? It's to say thank you to God. It's to give an opportunity for you to say thank you to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the cup of dregs is all about. So as we read this, I want you to understand the cup is nothing that you have to be a partaker of. That was never something meant for you. That was meant for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Jesus Christ said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But it didn't. He took it upon himself. And what does he ask of us? He asked us to repent and to be converted and be born again and to allow our life to shine as a testimony of his love in us. Folks, I hope that this has been helpful. If you have any questions, you can get a hold of me through the church website. It's wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. Uh, you can also contact me on the letter, or excuse me, on the uh, contact information on the website, in the drop-down menu. Uh, go to the button that says Contact Us, and there's a phone number that goes directly to this office, and I'll answer any questions I have. Otherwise, I'm going to pray, and we'll be done, and I'll talk to you next time. Father, thank you so much for everything you've done for us father we don't even know all the things that you would have done that we would know to be thankful for so i pray that as we leave these things in your hands you would teach us how to serve you and to walk worthy of the things you've given in jesus name amen folks thanks for being with me i look forward to being with you next time hope you're having a good start to your summer it's going to get busier from here see you later